had met them uh, when we did like a medical mission. And my job at that time was to kind of do a, you know, physical examination and check on the children, especially because some of them had, you know, worm issues. So you would see a lot of these children who were very malnourished, but, you know, their bellies were huge and they just weren't wearing, you know, you could tell their, their clothes were just like dirty. Welcome to MDF Instruments Crafting Wellness Podcast. Today, we would love to introduce you to Christina. Hi, Christina. Hi. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. Um, I'm so honored to even be on here. So thank you guys for inviting me to join you. Well, thank you so much for joining. Can you kind of just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? So I am an international medical graduate. So for short, that's IMG. Um, it just means that I had done all my medical education in the Philippines, or if you're an IMG in general, it would be in your home country. And I am currently in the U.S. because I am trying to pursue um, a residency or a spot to practice um, as a medical physician or like a licensed physician here in the U.S. That's amazing. So where are you in your process? You did all of your, you're from the Philippines and you've done all of your education up until you finished and then you came here. Can you give us a little bit of a timeline of what that looks like? So I basically, um, like I mentioned, I did all my medical education in the Philippines. And then as an IMG, you're not really required to go through medical school again here in the U.S., thank goodness. What you need to do is to take um, licensure exams or which is known as the U.S. MLEs. And that's kind of like where I am right now. I'm preparing for my second exam. And um, after I pass... Um, all of the other qualifying exams, that's when I apply for residency to match. And then I can basically practice or make it sound so easy, but it's really not. I can practice as a licensed physician once I um, get past, you know, doing all the exams and whatnot. Okay, great. Can you tell us what US um, MLE stands for for anyone who's watching now? So sorry. So US MLE stands for the United States licensure medical exam. Um, it's required um, even for American medical graduates before being able to actually practice as physicians here in the U.S. So it's basically this very rigorous um, and expensive process that we all have to go through if we do want to get licensed yeah. here. I was looking a little bit through your Instagram and I noticed um, you offer a lot of great advice on how to study and stress relief and like all of that stuff. But I also kind of wanted to just, is it true that the process is actually like th there's three separate tests? Is that right? Um, there are three separate tests. And um, for IMGs like me or international medical graduates, we can choose which step to take um, amongst the step one, step two CS um, and step two CK but we're required to pass all of those exams before moving on to step three. Um, but a lot of like programs here in the US don't really require you to take step three right before um, residency starts. So you can kind of overlap it with like your first year of residency and like study for it then. Um, but yeah, it is uh, a three or technically four step 
process that we all have to go through. Okay, that's really great to know. I didn't know that. So yeah, for everyone listening, it sounds like you have to do step one and step two at the very least. And then when you get into your residency, you can start working on getting through the other end of that test. So in, I noticed on your Instagram as well, you were talking about the difference, the difference between in the Philippines, what is considered like an internship or residency versus here in the US, like what that difference was and um, how you kind of, it was it a, like a hard thing for you to wrap your brain around just the like the language difference of calling something an internship versus a residency? Because I know that internships here are something kind of different. Can you kind of highlight that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm glad you brought this up because it really was confusing to me at first. Um, so I'll start with the Philippines and talk a little bit about like what are what we consider in the medical world as like internship year. Um, it's basically divided into two separate years. Um, the first year, which is called the junior internship year, is our last year of medical school. And it's basically where we go through this like one year training, rotating in all departments in the hospital. So for example, you would rotate through surgery or OBGYN and peds, internal medicine, all of that stuff for the entire year. And then once we graduated medical school, we do our postgraduate internship, which is also known as like our senior internship year. Um, we're kind of already part of the workforce, but not really at the same time. This is like pre-residency still. And again, we do another year of training um, at the hospital that we choose to apply to internship for. And um, we're basically given like more responsibilities um, as a senior intern and we're sort of like shadowing mostly like residents and scrubbing in ORs, um, things like that. Yes, um, the main difference is internship here is considered like your first year of residency. So um, when I first came here, I was always kind of like interchanging the two and it was um, confusing at first but then it made sense I guess when you say internship year here in the U.S. it's more of like you know you're kind of like the baby in the hospital because you're still kind of like um, trying to learn the ropes and trying to adjust to like this new schedule and all these responsibilities but those are ma the main like differences between what internship is like for the Philippines and here in the U.S. Wow, that's really great information because I'm sure that's uh, a question that a lot of uh, international uh, students want to kind of get info on because it can be very confusing and, you know, the way they do something in one place is not always going to be the same as we do it here and it means a different thing. So that's a really great point to kind of come across. Yeah. Um, so getting into that a little bit, where are you in your uh, USMLE journey? Currently, I had already taken step two CS, which is more of like um, you having to be on site and interacting with patients. So you're basically um, being graded on like how you interact with patients and you come up with management. I had already done, done that last year and passed that. So that's one, like one off like the list. And I'm currently studying for, um, I feel, and I think most of like um, medical students and international medical graduates can agree with me on this, but I'm currently studying for step one, which is the hardest exam to prepare for just because it's so, um, it's so 
heavy in terms of like information and a lot of the residency programs like base your, your your performance in this exam as to whether or not you can be accepted. So um, it's it whatever you get in the step one score can reflect what specialty you get to match in. It's like a huge factor, basically. So that's where I'm currently at right now. Someone were to not pass that part of the exam, are they do it again, or is it one of those things? where you do it and if you don't succeed at that point, you have to kind of take another direction? Oh, well, you certainly can take it um, again. It will kind of like reflect, of course, when you apply to residency and the program directors kind of see that, oh, you failed step one. But personally, I don't think it like, if you did fail it, I don't think you should kind of like tell yourself, oh, I guess this isn't meant for me, like medicine's not for me. It, uh, I believe that like a grade doesn't really reflect what you're going to be like as a physician and you're practicing and you're talking to patients. Patients don't really ask you, what did you get in step one? You know, things like that. So I think it matters more, you know, what you are as a physician compared to like, you know, your grades. Nobody really pays attention to that when you're actually in practice. But no, you can take it again. Um, it probably will raise like a red flag for you know programs but it certainly isn't you know the end all be all if you do fail it yeah you are not your gpa we're all very yeah. around people and yeah just because you fail something doesn't mean you can't keep going and try again and how long have you been here um in the u.s i would love to talk a little bit about um your experience just just getting here and what that was like and how you decided to come here and just a little bit of your backstory for everybody to get to know how you even found your passion in medicine and how this how you even kind of got to where you are now yeah um i love that question so um like i mentioned uh i did all my medical education in the in, in the philippines i was also born and raised there and um i had always wanted to um, pursue residency here in the U.S. I think there wasn't like one defining moment where I just kind of like woke up and was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to the U.S. and eventually like do residency there and practice. It was more of like a buildup. It started when I was in medical school um, and I just felt like there were so many opportunities here in the U.S. for me to kind of and grow as not just as a physician in the future but as a person um, I always like tell my mom that like I'm you know I'm like really independent and so I wanted to explore what was out there and so after I did my um, last year um, my senior year of internship after I did that I decided to come to the U.S start preparing for um, my first exam, which is step two CS. And it wasn't easy at first, just because I came here on my own. A lot of the times you'll have like IMGs with like connections here, like you'll have family or friends to like hang out with. But um, I do have family, like it's like spread out here in the US. But when I came here last year, I was living on my own. Um, I did not, obviously all my friends and my family were um, in the Philippines and so everything was so new to me because I was literally and figuratively alone mm -hmm. and, and I 
felt very strange, um, even though I had visited the U.S. many times before um, when I was growing up, it was still kind of a shock to me just because I needed some kind of, you know, familiarity around me, but I didn't always get that. Even something as simple as like, you know, food that reminds me of home. It wasn't always something that I could access. I didn't have a car. Um, I was staying in a college dorm to save on money. Um, and basically, you know, just trying to figure out like how to get around, um, how to navigate this entire process. I will say it was lonely. Um, and so I, it took me a while to adjust. And I think people need to keep that in mind if you are coming to like the US and you wanna pursue the USMLEs, um, there's a huge adjustment period. So I don't want people to think that, you know, it, you know, that if they go through depression or if they're anxious about something, it's 100% normal. Um, I think everybody goes through that and I don't think anybody should give themselves a hard time for feeling that way. Um, so yeah, and after I took step TCS, um, I basically just kind of, um, I did have a, a, like a major hiccup because I had failed um, step TCS first the first time I took it and that was, you know, kind of hit me very hard. And I eventually tried to get myself back up. I think a huge part of me failing it was because I was so, I think I was so confused. I was so lost, not having any kind of guidance or support, like physical support from my family. And I'm very like family oriented. So that was a huge factor um, amongst other things. And so I kind of like had to pick myself back up again and then prepare for another round of you know step two cs a second time and thankfully it passed it so um and i was able to move on to like where i am now um but yeah i since moving here i have already lived in like this is my third city that i am in right now um and it was you know it's such a whirlwind and it's only been like less than two years but I feel like I've already like done so much as an international medical graduate just because you're having to adjust to a lot when you're here, especially when you're alone. But um, that's pretty much like a quick summary of what I've been through so far. I know that for just for the regular US student that going through medical school is extremely difficult and not yeah. for comfort. And I can't even imagine um, how difficult it was for you to leave your home, your family, your friends, like everything you knew, to come here to pursue something, um, to pursue your dream of becoming a doctor here in the U.S. and working here. Um, I think you're incredibly brave, and for everybody watching, it's an, it's inspiring to see that as difficult as this is to go ahead and say i already know before i do this how many challenges and how hard this is going to be and i could sit here and do the, do the easier route even though it's still hard um or i can really kind of just go out and where i don't know anyone and go go for it and yeah. you did that and i want everybody watching to take that and take that to heart and to really think about it's you only have one life and I think you're a great example of listening to your heart and going in the direction you feel you want to go in 
no matter the challenges that you know you're going to face. And I know that being in a new place and like the comforts that we, we normally have that can get us through things. You are like, I don't have my family. I don't have my friends. And even the comfort you, you brought on a little bit about food, the comfort that you take in that, because it reminds you of home and you're in a yeah. place, you're in a warm room. You know, that's not easy. And the fact yeah. that you're so successful and at, for everyone watching as well, it's not, it wasn't smooth sailing. It's not, it's not ever going to be smooth sailing. Things are going to pop up. You might fail a test. You might um, have to take a little time off to deal with, you know, health issues or family problems or anything like that. But those are just kind of detours on your path. And you can always with perseverance can stand back up and pull yourself back up and say, I know where I'm going. I know where I want to go. And I'm not going to let this deter me. I believe in myself and I'm going for this. And I think you exemplify that to a T and I think it's so inspiring. And for everyone watching, I really want you to take that in because it's not easy. Um, but anything worth doing is never easy. That's, it's a saying for a reason. <laughs> so you're in Texas and I know with COVID-19, there's been some sort of discrepancy between people believing, you know, oh, the masks don't do anything as opposed to the masks do something. Um, as a medical professional, where, where do you kind of stand on that? And has that been difficult for you? Just kind of frustration or anything like that deal with dealing with COVID-19 at all? And how has it affected you? Um, so I think that frustration started like even before COVID-19 hit its peak. Um, and I think it was very because as somebody who is a medical professional or in, is in healthcare, it was, it was just stressful for me to see that I could say maybe my colleagues or people who are working on the front lines are having to deal with um, the effects of people not following things like, you know, social distancing or wearing masks, something that could easily be done if you really wanted to but I was very much frustrated when I saw the news um, that broke out and, you know, states like Florida, where people were going to all these beaches and still kind of like partying um, during spring break. And I think I was just, you know, um, I felt horrible for my colleagues, not just because I couldn't be on the front lines with them at the moment, because I'm still preparing for my exams, but also because they're the ones who are having to kind of, you know, take the hit. And um, there have been physicians and other healthcare workers, like nurses, who have taken their own lives here in the U.S. And there also have been other, even in other countries that have done this, because there's just an overwhelming, I can only imagine what they're feeling. What you see in the news isn't even probably like a fraction of what doctors are going through on a daily basis and not talking about just doctors but you know um nurses especially and respiratory therapists and just basically the whole team that are trying to keep everyone together and trying to like manage all of these patients yeah. and um it makes me like i said frustrated because not only does it take a toll on their physical health but also their mental health um, there was a nurse, rather, a doctor in New York, I believe, who took her own life just because um, while she was working in the ER, she had 
she was infected with COVID-19 and because she was so scared that um, she would infect her patients, um, she decided to just take her life because it was just too much. And that's probably not even, you know, the only reason behind that. There could be another, um, a bunch of other factors that could have led to that. So yeah, it, it's frustrating because it's completely, this is a pandemic and everybody in the world's affected. That's what's so scary about it, but not a lot of people are taking this seriously. You really touch on several, I think, important things. One is mental health and in healthcare in general, um, you know, there's a, a lot of burnout that can happen, even preparing nursing school, medical school, all of it. There's There can be burnout there. Then once you're in, there can be burnout. Um, it's a very stressful job. And then you add on top of that, a global pandemic and all the all right. hours and everything that people have to work to save and protect us uh, is, and it's been going now for, you know, seven months. It's been going a long time. Um, it's, it's really, really a difficult thing. And I know on your, your, all of your social handles, your, you talk a, a lot about um, mental health and it's not something that a lot of people talk about because people don't want to say, Hey, I'm struggling right now. Like, this isn't easy. I'm, I'm depressed and I don't know why, or, or I'm really stressed out. I need a minute. And I feel like people don't, can't, they don't take that time for themselves or they don't want to say, I need help. But I think it's so important uh, for everyone watching to know like you have to take care of yourself and you know yourself best. So if you're feeling burnt out or you're feeling stressed out or you're feeling sad, reach out to people, you know, um, there are, are people who want to help you, who love you, um, reach out to Christina, reach out to MDF, reach out to us because we're here to help guide you, connect you. There, you're not alone. There are people out there who understand what you're going through. Um, for all the international um, medical students like yourself who come over here who are feeling alone, you can reach out to Christina. I'm sure she would love to hear from you and help guide you um, because yeah. We are not alone in, in a global pandemic. We can feel even more alone and isolated, but through all of our wonderful technology, we're able to connect right now. You know, you're in Texas, I'm in LA, and here we are um, <laughs> to this podcast. So yeah. we can find ways to kind of come together and get through this, you know, as one and get through this together because it is really sad. There are a lot of healthcare workers who have passed from COVID-19 as in addition to also taking their own lives. It's actually been very high. I've seen a lot of stories about it. And also just people, people who aren't even in healthcare who are doing, who are so depressed with this global pandemic. So just know that you're not alone and you have allies and advocates that want to be there for you, for everyone watching to know that. And you also talked a little bit about, I, I really want to talk about your um, kind of your mission work. I know we posted on our page a little bit about. So I'm glad you're bringing this up because it's something that um, I actually learned from or learned about through my mom. So um, even when I was younger, uh, we were always kind of like as a family, we were very much involved in charity work. And I think my mom and my dad really instilled that in us when we were growing up. So I remember when I was younger, just a bit of backstory before I talk about that. Um, I celebrated my, I can't remember if it was like my fifth or sixth birthday at a pediatric cancer um, hospital. 
And of course, when you're a kid, as long as you see balloons, you see cake, you see food, you hear music, you know it's a party, it doesn't really matter where you are. So I always really enjoyed that. And every Christmas we would kind of invite, you know, um, street children in the Philippines to um, get together and we would give food and things like that. So it's something that my um, my parents really like made sure we, we, we were a part of. And so when I was in my fifth year or my senior internship, um, that's when I kind of like was introduced to the Mangyan tribe. And they're actually one of the forgotten tribes of the Philippines. There's a number of them. And the one I'm directly, you know, working with at the moment is called the Alangan tribe. And I'm very fortunate because um, the head person of the foundation who we're working with as well is kind of, she's in charge of bringing people together to help this community. And you're taking a community that's very, um, old fashioned is not even the word for it, but they're very, they, um, they stick to kind of their tradition. So they're the type of people who won't wear shoes and they won't take a bath for days. They won't let the women take a bath for days just because the men think that it's a way to kind of be a little bit more flirtatious towards other men, you know, things like that. So hygiene isn't really like a huge priority. So when um, Sally, Sally's the head of the foundation that helps the Mangyan community, and my mom kind of, you know, met each other. Um, my mom kind of like invited me to 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 go to um, a wherever the Mangyans or the Alaman tribe um, are at the moment, and it's it's in a provincial area of the Philippines, so you would have to take a boat and then a bus and then basically several forms of transportation just to get to like another island, which is where they are. Um, and I had met them um, when we did like a medical mission. And my job at that time was to kind of do a, you know, physical examination and check on the children, especially because a lot of them had, you know, worm issues. So you would see a lot of these children who were very malnourished but you know their bellies were huge and they just weren't wearing you know you could tell their their clothes were just like dirty and you can tell that they haven't been like taking showers for like days or even weeks and months and um seeing that a lot of these people didn't even have like a source of livelihood um and they were very far from um the like the, the hospital um, in that provincial area. It's a very, um, like I said, it's a province, so everything's like spaced out. And when I did physical examinations, I had a, um, a, an encounter with a patient there who um, I just took his blood pressure and he was like in the 180s or like up to 200. And he just these are just the people who don't have time to go to the doctors or they don't even have money to go to the doctors and get checked. Some of these people have probably even never had um, a consultation with a physician in their lives just because they don't have money, no source of livelihood and not no access to like healthcare. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. And when I found out that there were so many things that this community needed, um, I had talked to my mom about it, sat down with, um, 
the head of that foundation, Sally, and talked to her and said, I will try and make this like my mission um, and try to get as much people involved as possible. So I started doing clothing drives and I would ask my friends from not just like who were in medicine, but everybody else who was willing to donate and we would kind of do um, like food as well. And then we would basically gather toys, books, you know, for children there who were um, really trying to get the education as much as they could in, in such a limited setting. Um, and we tried to like deliver what we could and then we would board the bus and basically take the boat do all of that, um, just my mom and myself, and we'd ask for like some help. But that's basically um, how it started. And I do plan to continue on um, and focus on them um, until they're actually, you know, hopefully they reach a point where they can fend for themselves. It's basically um, the goal that I have in mind. So beautiful. Thank you so much for doing that and your mother. And that's incredible. I think, you know, people who go into healthcare, into medicine, you have hearts that want to help people. You want to bring health and wellness and um, just a, a vibrance to people's lives because you know that without health, um, it's really hard to have joy because you're in pain or you're just not doing well and your loved ones are worried about you and you cause a lot of stress. Um, and I think you just I, we're so honored to have you on our podcast, um, doing such incredible work like that. And also I would love, love, love to share anything, um, about that and how anyone watching can help, how MDS can help, um, with this mission. So please, please let us know, um, if you have anything you can say now that people can kind of get on board to help with, that's a great, and we'll link that as well, um, in this video, uh, for people to kind of go to. Right. Um, so, first of all, thank you for allowing me to even talk about this because it's not always easy to kind of um, get the help that you need, especially when you want to help a group of people. Um, so if anybody would like to kind of um, help, if you are in the Philippines, for example, and you want to, you know, do your own medical missions, or if you want to help them in terms of, um, there is a program called Sponsor a Child or um, anybody from the Mangyan community, um, which basically means that you'll be supporting them financially. And um, I do have a list that I can share with anybody who's interested. It's not just, you know, financially supporting them. If you do want to send um, books, clothes that you no longer need, um, study materials for the children, Medi medications, which is really important if you are in a pharmaceutical company and um, have, you know, excess medications that you can donate, that would be so appreciated. Um, and they also have a, um, a program or, yeah, an opportunity for Mangyans to kind of like start their own livelihood. So if you can provide funds for, let's say, you know, um, you know, chickens and things like that, which obviously will be Sally's um, kind of like first area of responsibility. Um, but other than that, if there are other ways that you want to help or if you want me to send you a list of ways that you can help, please feel free to just reach out to me. I can kind of be like your middle person between um, Sally, who's the head of the foundation, um, and 
we can kind of get started from there. So um, whatever handles that you can kind of see uh, on this podcast, um, which would link back to me, please don't hesitate to reach out. It would mean the world um, to help these children and this community. Absolutely. And we have, we support you fully. And please also let us know if you ever do um, go and do some more medical missions. If you need supplies, we would be more than happy to supply those to you and anyone who's going on those medical missions with you. So please don't uh, hesitate to reach out to us. And that's for anyone watching too. We, we, with our crafting wellness initiative, uh, we love to do these things around the world and that's great too. And then also, Christina, um, I did just really want to touch base on change the subject a little bit. Um, I wanted to just kind of talk about any other interests that you have aside from healthcare and medicine. I think I saw a little bit about cooking and food. So I would love to just, just go into that a little bit so that people can kind of get to know the other side of you as well. Yes. So, um, yeah, probably my favorite thing ever to talk about is food. But um that's kind of why I decided to create um, the Instagram account and kind of link it to like food. It's a great way for me, at least personally, definitely to kind of like take my mind off things. And it sort of served as a coping mechanism. So in terms of like, you know, cooking, baking, I didn't really cook when I was in the Philippines. I did bake mm-hmm. and I certainly ate. <laughs> ate a lot of food <laughs> but um when I came here um and you know found out that I didn't really have anybody else to kind of like cook for me because usually it's my mom um or somebody in my family and we're a huge um Filipino family that loves to get together and just cook eat talk that's our culture um food is a way to get together and catch up and um, feel good about, you know, uh, about life in general. That's how we celebrate life too. So it's definitely like linked to so many um, good things in our family. And so when I came here, I figured I would kind of like learn how to cook Filipino dishes just so I don't get as homesick as I already am. And I had to learn, I had to like talk to my mom Um, and ask for like all these recipes that she would cook for me and I would do my own research and once I started I guess like cooking food that I normally would have back home that just made me feel so much better and then I like to feed my phone a lot on Instagram like I like to take pictures and like take videos of what I'm making and so that was fun for me and I decided to kind of share that side and in a way wanted you know foreign medical students or graduates like me to find out ways that they can cope with being away from home. So it could be through making food from your home country, or at least if there's like a restaurant nearby that you can kind of like order from just to kind of give you that sense of home. Um, and in on like on the subject of baking, which is my first love, right, you know, before cooking, when I I was, I think around like 11 or 12, I started my own cookie business. And when I say business, it was just me making like cookies and selling them to like my schoolmates, you know, things like that. Um, And uh, my grandmother and pretty much like everybody in my family is such um, a great cook. But my grandmother um, used to have like a bakery when they were, you know, younger. Um, So... 
I'm no pro at baking. I just make sure they, they taste good, but I'm not good at like decorating cakes or anything like that. I have an aunt who does all of that good stuff. Like she's very creative and, um, and all. I'm not creative whatsoever. I just like to eat. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something I like to do to take my mind off things. Yeah, I think it's great to have like something that kind of, it feels very therapeutic. It kind of balances you. I love cooking as well. So it's kind of just the process of picking out the ingredients and deciding what you're going to make and then, you know, chopping it all up and just, you know, what's going in your food and then sitting down and enjoying it and having a nice conversation and it just kind of bringing you back down and reminding you what is really actually important, which is our family and our loved ones and more of the simple things. Cause I think it's so easy to get caught up in, Oh, this and that I have this to do and this to do and blah, blah, blah. but Really, I think it's a great way to kind of center and say, you know, this is actually what's important. And this is why, this is what I'm doing all of this for, is for more mm -hmm. like this. It's, it's yeah. good to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, and um, I just wanted to add that when I, I was growing up, or even before I came here, it was sort of like my mom's rule that when we had dinner at home, everybody had to like sit down and um, get together and catch up. And like you said, it's so easy to get caught up in what we're doing on a daily basis, especially work-wise. So dinners or like eating with like family or friends are a great, great way to kind of like pause a little bit and just like breathe and enjoy. So yeah. Great advice. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining our Crafting Wellness podcast. We were so honored to have you today. Um, we're going to link all of her information below all, so you can go check her out. You can check out her medical missions um, and all of her doing. So check that out below. And um, thank you so much, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this and I'm so honored to even be here.